News Radio 680 WPTF. Hi there. This is Asset Protection Today. My name is Scott Fitzgerald. Normally, attorney Bill Alexander joins us, but uh, Bill is out cavorting around, so uh, he has a, well, a very able replacement, Catherine Bowman. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, we had no, no choice, and I'm glad that we got you here as the, uh, as the sure. backup. Uh, well, Bill has full confidence in you. I mean, you've been an associate with him for how long now? Um, a little over two years, but I've actually been working at WG Alexander and Associates for almost seven years now. So, yep, very familiar with what we do. And uh, and you're right. I think Bill does have um, a lot of confidence in me, which I appreciate. Yeah, seven years. So that, that tells me a couple things. One, he's not a monster to work for. Right. <laughs> and two, you're doing something right. Right. Yep. I think both of those things are accurate statements. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've always wondered this because uh, Bill talks about the, the, the monthly seminars. And I know there's the next one is coming up. It's, what, Wednesday the 10th? Is that right? Wednesday, February 10th? Yes, that's right. And there's two of them, one at 2 o'clock and one at 6.30. I know we're kind of ahead of ourselves here, but it's never too early to make some plans. What is your role, if anything, with these seminars? Right. So, and also you're correct. It's February 10th at 2 and 6.30. We do two sessions. Uh, The location of the seminar is Independence Village of Old Raleigh, which is an independent living community. Um, And that's up in the Blue Ridge, Durley area? Yep, over there. And uh, basically what I do is I facilitate the 6.30 session of the seminar. Um, Bill and I do similar presentations. I would say Bill's goes into a little bit more detail. Uh, he's just such a, a fountain of knowledge, you know. Wealth he's deep and wide, isn't he? <laughs> right, exactly. So I think that uh, his tends to run maybe two to three hours, and mine's usually about an hour and a half to two hours long. Um, but essentially, we do try to cover the same basic outline. And I did just want to take some time today to give people an idea of what the seminar actually entails. I know we talk about it a lot generally, but just to give them an idea of if they came, these are the topics they would be getting some information on. Okay. Is that something you want to do now, or there's, or is, is that something you want to hold on to for a little later in the program and get to some other things first? Yeah, you we, tell can, me. we can hold off on that. Okay. Let's do that at the end. Yep. Well, where would you like to start? We're still sort of at the beginning of the year, and a lot of people that I talk to whether it's in the advertising world, uh, their workout world, their you know inside mental and spiritual world, they're all making plans for what 2016 is going to be like. Do you have still people who are who are kind of in that mode with you? I would say so, and uh, just you know because I am so focused in the realm of what I do, which is estate planning and elder law, mm-hmm. I do have some tips for people just from my perspective on things I think they should be thinking about at the beginning of the year. All right. Well, I always like tips, especially if they're really short and I can write them on my arm and Sharpie marker. That way I can always have access to them. So without further ado, what is your first tip for uh, 2016 and for folks making their plannings? The first thing I think everyone should be mindful of, and again, this really doesn't matter how old you are, it's something everyone should have in place, and I stress it every time I come on the show, is your basic documents. And again, whenever someone comes in to see either myself or Mr. Alexander and they don't have anything in place, uh, we usually recommend five basic documents. So there are two powers of attorney that everybody should have. The point of having a power of attorney is for the situation where if you were to become incompetent or incapacitated, you want to have someone appointed in a power of attorney to act as your decision maker in your shoes on your behalf. Right. And one of them is sort of the financial world and one of them is the health side? 
right? Correct. Yep, that's exactly right. The general durable power of attorney covers your assets, covers any financial decision that would need to be made for you. And then the health care power of attorney is pretty self-explanatory. That covers all health care decisions. So somebody's 20, 25 years old, do they really need a durable power of attorney? If so, what would that cover? That's a great question. Uh, And I would say, yes, they should have a power of attorney, but the depth or the extent of the powers that are granted to an agent probably don't have to be as broad as someone who is older um, and has, you know, gathered, not gathered, excuse me, um, has accumulated wealth in mm-hmm. their lifetime. They can gather it too if yeah, they, they want. <laughs> that's true. Everybody's different. Wasn't, you know? wasn't quite the word I was looking for. Uh, but basically, North Carolina has what we call a short form power of attorney. So that gives very basic powers. It complies with the North Carolina statute. And that is a form that can be found online, in all honesty. Um, but the issue is that when somebody has gathered or accumulated wealth, we find that when someone is trying to do asset protection planning, what I mean is if the agent, the person who's been appointed in that document, is trying to protect assets for the person who has lost their competence or mm-hmm. is incapacitated, that short-form power of attorney is sometimes insufficient. So in that case, for people who have, like I said, gathered or accumulated wealth, it is a good idea to visit an estate planning attorney or an elder law attorney, depending on what point you are in your life uh, to make sure you have a general durable power of attorney that will fully cover your estate and your assets. Okay, you mentioned North Carolina. Of course, that's where we are right now. Right. We have a lot of people that move here from other places. Uh, in my neighborhood, for example, there's, let's see, Rochester and Buffalo and then Illinois and then South Korea and then Georgia and then India. So very few are actually from North Carolina, and they have their own documents, and they come here. Are those still valid? Potentially. And again, that is one of those beginning-of-the-year items I think people should be aware of. And if you have moved, you know, within the past year, it is a really good idea to have any existing documents reviewed by a North Carolina attorney, because there are variations in the law from state to state. So it's, it's possible that the documents you have are completely fine, and they do comply with our laws, but it's always best to double-check Okay. I'm going to stick with the yeah, the durable power of attorney for a second here. Are there triggering events in somebody's life that would make you say, hey, you really should revisit this? Like when you have insurance at work, you know, or you change a job or you have a child or something along those lines. That's a triggering event. How about in this world? Right. Those events, I think, carry over into needing to review these documents that I'm talking about, especially the financial power of attorney. If you've been married, you know, since the last time you executed, if there have been deaths, uh, divorces, those sorts of life events, maybe you executed a power of attorney 10 years ago, your child was 15, you know, now they're 25, and you actually think that they would be a good person to have on your document. So just those sorts of life events, like you just mentioned, um, if you've had those changes, it is a really good idea to revisit your documents. Okay. Um, That's the durable power of attorney. Is there a reason they call it durable? Just wondering. Yep. So the durable part just means that the document will sustain this event that I'm talking about, like your incapacity or your incompetence. Um, That means that basically the document will stay in effect and will will allow your agent to make those decisions for you. W.G. Alexander & Associates is, of course, the, uh, the law firm where you can talk to Catherine or you can talk to Bill Alexander, who is normally here for asset protection today. A break in back, and we'll talk about the healthcare power attorney on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
is News Radio 680 WPTF. Hope you're doing all right on this Saturday. And uh, again, it is time for asset protection today. We're in the middle of it. Bill uh, Alexander, who's the attorney that uh, generally you might work with, uh, is uh, is out this week. So Catherine Bowman is is in. And now when I say that generally you might work with Bill, chances are it might be a handoff and a back and forth, and Bill might help with one thing and you help with another. Is that is that sort of how it works, like a tag team kind of thing? Or do you um, separate with clients? Yeah, we pretty much, once we have an initial consultation with a client, we we manage that client's case, whatever it may be, throughout. So there is, you know, sometimes some discussion of cases. If, if there's an issue or a point um, where one of us isn't too sure, then we do consult with the other. But usually we do manage our own client's uh, just solely throughout the process. Good enough. But the left hand always knows what the right hand exactly. is doing. Before we took the break, we we're talking about some of the documents that are real important to have for everybody. The first one was the durable, keep saying that to yourself a few times, <laughs> that word will sound strange, the durable power of attorney. Uh, we've covered that. Let's move now to the healthcare power of attorney. First, what is it and who really needs to have one? Again, the healthcare power of attorney, pretty self-explanatory. That's a document you want to put in place to appoint either one person or multiple people as your decision makers for healthcare-related matters if something were to happen to you. Uh, I, I would definitely say, you know, hospitals will make a decision or consult someone to make a decision if there's something that needs to happen quickly. You know, if you were in a, a life life-threatening situation, um, that I think they would consult the necessary people to get a decision made. But it is always good to make sure that the person who is going to default as your decision maker is the person you trust the most with your health, uh, really is what it comes down to. Who truly has your best interest in mind. Exactly, exactly. So unfortunately, you know, there really aren't any defaults when it comes to these sort of things. If you want your spouse to be your agent, either for financial or healthcare matters, you really need to execute a document listing them as that decision maker. If it's a child or a sibling, something of that, you know, someone in that capacity, uh, executing a document, laying it out there in the proper form that complies with the law is really in your best interest in terms of making sure you'll be taken care of if a terrible event were to happen. How does... How does the medical community know that you've got a, a health care power of attorney in place? Let's assume that, that somebody's right. in the hospital and they don't have access to a family member right away. Um, and that that's a good question. I, I would say usually the situation we find is that, you know, we tell the person who's executed the document to go ahead and give a copy or two or three to the person they've appointed as their health care agent. Uh, that way, you know, if they're going to the hospital together. I think usually the family is contacted. They find next of kin. And that way, whoever is appointed as that agent would have the document ready to go, could bring it to the hospital with them. um, And then they could step into place and start making those decisions quickly and seamlessly. Okay. And before, when we were talking about the durable power of attorney, asked the question, does a 20, 25-year-old need to have something like this? Same thing with the healthcare power of attorney. At what age does somebody really need to have this in place? Honestly, I think as soon as you turn 18, you know, okay. as soon as you reach that age of, of majority is what we call it, then you should especially have the healthcare document in place. Again, this isn't really the same where if you haven't accumulated a lot of wealth, maybe you don't need something as extensive as a power of attorney that covers a lot of different powers. Uh, but with healthcare decisions, you know, regardless of your age, if you're over the age of 18, you really should have something in place, either appointing your parents or uh, a spouse, something of that, someone in that capacity to serve as your agent. This is assuming that somebody cares and cares about themselves. I mean, <laughs> right. there's some kids who think that they're immortal. Uh, oh, you know, absolutely. That nothing's going to happen yeah. to them. So. 
And I would say, you know, most 18-year-olds don't have a document in place unless their parents are the ones who have told them, you know, yeah, they you need, need to, to be. need to do this, right. Right. Or they're listening to this program and they realize right, they exactly. don't want to get left behind. Yeah. Um, again, triggering events that might make somebody change their health care power of attorney. These triggering events, I would say, are pretty uh, common throughout all of these all of these documents and designations that we're talking about. Again, if you've had a marriage, if there's been a divorce, a death, uh, maybe it's just been a really long time since you've revisited these designations mm-hmm. and you found that someone is actually in a better position to be your decision maker now. So just really if it's been a long time or if you've had marriages, children, divorce, death, those sorts of things. Okay. So an ugly divorce, you may not want to have your ex be your exactly. health care attorney. And I would say that also comes into play in terms of your beneficiary designations on life insurance policies or your qualified plans like 401ks. Yeah, if you've had a divorce and you haven't revisited your beneficiary designations, likelihood is your ex is the person on that dotted line. <laughs> right. So if something were to happen to you, um, those funds would pass to your ex-spouse. And I've seen that happen in all honesty. So again, these these certain events that happen in your life, not only should you revisit designations in terms of who should be your decision maker, but also beneficiary designations that you may have executed a long time ago. Okay. Uh, Catherine Bowman, again, is with us here today, attorney with WJ, excuse me, WG Alexander and Associates. The WGA comes into effect if you want to find the website, which is WGALaw.com. And if you want to shoot an email, maybe you've got a question you'd like to have addressed on this program at some point in time, it's WGA at WGALaw.com. So, Catherine, we've talked about the first two documents you think everybody needs to have. One is the durable power of attorney. The other, the health care power of attorney. What's number three? Three, I would say, is your last will and testament. Again, this is something that everyone should have in place. Uh, Every situation is different, though. So I would say when it comes to is a will the best planning tool for you versus some sort of trust, that really is a case-by-case basis. But even if you do go with a trust, everyone should have a basic last will and testament in place. Uh, Like I said, the nature of that will may be different depending on circumstances, but you do want to go ahead and designate who you want to receive your property. Mm -hmm. You know, North Carolina does have a default, but if there is some specific person or persons and you want to make sure that they're the ones who get your property, you need to have that will in place. Is that transferable again from state to state or do you need one particularly for North Carolina? So wills are transferable, but again, you need to make sure that your out-of-state will complies with North Carolina's laws regarding valid wills. Okay. Uh, From a historical perspective, um, last will and testament, what's the actual definition there? Where does the testament come into play? Do you know? I honestly, I've never looked into the definition of, of last will and, and testament exactly. I don't know okay, the answer Well, I'll make that. a promise to you okay. that by the next time we get together, I'll look it up, okay. even if you have Okay. And you know what? You should ask Bill that question because I bet you he has he has an answer to that. Okay. Well, he, <laughs> most questions I've asked him, exactly. he's had a pretty good answer yep. for. Um, again, I want to remind you that uh, you should probably stick it on your calendar. The next seminar that's coming up is going to be at Independence Village, Wednesday, February 10th. 
two of them, as a matter of fact, one at 2 o'clock. And then, Catherine, you handle the one at 6.30, right? That's right. Okay. Yep, I do Bill doesn't stay session. up late? Is that what that is? I think he does. Um, but it's the sort of thing where, you know, he's he's senior associate, so I think he gets to choose which, which session he wants to do, and he likes the afternoon one. That's right. And then he stands and watches to make sure that, uh, <laughs> that you're on top of everything. A break and back, and then we'll take a look at uh, the fourth document you need to have in your arsenal. This is Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF. Asset Protection today on News Radio 680 WPTF every Saturday morning, 11 o'clock. We, uh, we tap into the brains at W.G. Alexander and Associates. <clears throat> Bill is out for today. So one of the other brains that's there that we can work with is Catherine Bowman. Glad that you're with us here today, Catherine. Let's, uh, let's continue to dig into the documents that, uh, that are so important. We talk power of attorney, durable, power of attorney, health care, and the last will and testament, so what's the fourth document that somebody needs to have prepared with you? So the fourth and fifth documents I'm just going to lump together a little bit. And then, again, they're related to healthcare matters. Uh, the first is what we call our HIPAA release. It's a medical release. It complies with federal privacy regulations, and it allows basically your family members or whoever, whoever else you want to have access to your medical records to have access to those without running into any issues. Um, Question on that one. Every yeah. time I go to the doctor, they give me all this paperwork. Right. What's my insurance? You know, has anything changed? What about your mom? Did she have a you know a polyp in her ear? And then there's always that HIPAA release. Is that specific for that visit, or specific for that doctor, or does that cover everything in my life? So my understanding is it's specific for that visit. I don't know if the hospital, if you went back to that same hospital, would just pull that HIPAA release that you signed. Okay. That I'm actually not sure of, but I do know that when we execute these documents, we're planning for the possibility of you going to a hospital or a doctor's office and being incapacitated or incompetent, not in a position to actually sign one of those releases that they give you when you arrive. Okay. So having this HIPAA release in place will actually sustain for, you know, any any visit that you may need uh, in the future. And it's a what I call a just-in-case HIPAA release. Okay. So like I said, if you weren't able to sign one, they didn't have one on file, your family will be able to pass that along. And it is valid and will allow the doctors or whoever to give information to the family about what's going on with you. Okay. And again, all these documents that we're talking about here so far are documents that need to be in place in the event that you can't Making any decisions, right? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And and those are what all of these documents are about. And again, the last one, you know, the HIPAA release, like you were saying, whenever you go to the hospital, you usually sign a DNR if that complies with your wishes. So we encourage people to execute what we call an advanced directive for a natural death. Some people refer to it as a living will. Only if that complies with your values and your morals. You know, if you don't want to be kept alive artificially, if you're in a persistent vegetative state or things of that nature, uh, you need to have that advanced directive in place. Again, if you go to the hospital, you sign a DNR, but what if you're in the situation where you can't execute that DNR, you know, either incapacitated or incompetent, having that document already in place, letting your family know where it is, make sure that your wishes will be upheld by the doctor. Okay, so did we just slide into document number five? I did. Sorry, you I did. lumped four and five together. Okay. That was a little sneaky. I apologize. And DNR, that is do not resuscitate. Correct. Okay. Um in your DNR or your advanced directive, how, how do you tell the doctor um, the if-then scenarios? Um, 
Because so, my guess there's more than one. Right. So our document has three very specific situations laid out. And again, it's the sort of thing where when we're in our consultation, we would discuss with you, you know, if these are the three situations that you would not want to be kept alive, if there's anything additional. Uh, we have some flexibility in terms of structuring that to make sure it completely complies with your wishes and your morals. So what are the three scenarios? Can you lay those out for us? Right. So the first, like I said, is if you're in a persistent vegetative state and there's a very low likelihood of you um, actually recovering from that. So is that brain activity is basically gone? Exactly. And again, we also talk about um, if you have really advanced dementia and again, you're in a persistent vegetative state, not a high likelihood of you coming out of it. Um, It's really those situations that we cover in the documents. Um, what about the one? What about a situation where I'm on life support of some sort, whether I can't breathe on my own? I mean, I'm unconscious and I can't breathe on my own, or my blood isn't circulating in you know in a proper way, so I need to be on some sort of heart pump. Those situations where the only reason I'm alive is because of a machine. Is that one of the scenarios that's covered? Right, exactly. And again, there is also that piece of there being a very low likelihood of you actually recovering or being able to maintain life on your own. Uh, The good, well, what a lot of our clients think is the good thing we do in our documents uh, is the relationship between our healthcare power of attorney and our advanced directive. Okay, explain that. The advanced directive is directions to your physician. Um, the healthcare power of attorney obviously appoints usually a family member to be your decision maker. So we allow the healthcare agent to override the advanced directive if they want to get a second opinion from a different doctor, if they're not quite on board with the determination the doctor, the attending physician has made. Uh, we can actually have the healthcare agent step in and say, you know, hold off on executing this. We want to get a second opinion. So having that added layer between the advanced directive um, and the doctor, a lot of times our clients find that to be very comforting, you know, because they don't want the plug necessarily to be pulled too early. So like I said, just having that in place um, comforts a lot of our clients. Okay, so it can over override one doctor, bring in a second opinion. So let's just give you a scenario here. Um, the The client has an advanced directive, they do not want to stay on life support. They want the plug to be pulled. But they have a health care power of attorney that gives the agent um, the ability to make some decisions. Can the agent override the DNR? Yeah. The way that we draft our health care power of attorney, yes. And so again, the agent could say, no, I, I, I don't want to. I know mom just said no. I don't. She doesn't want to be kept alive on life support. But we, there may be a miracle, so let's just wait. Let's just wait. Right, and it's the sort of thing where, again, you know, if the client doesn't want that protection of, in place, if they say, no, these are my wishes, I don't want, you know, my child or my spouse to be able to override that, then we can take that provision out. It's just for some clients, they actually do want that added layer in there. So, again, every document is very specifically tailored to the clients. These are just some options that you have when you execute them. So I, I know that every situation is different. Um if I were in a situation, I'm putting together the documents, one of my goals would be to try to remove as much stress from the lo- the loved ones who've got to go through all this. Because right. if I'm in a hospital and I'm in a vegetative state, they're going to be whacked out and freaked out. Right. So I'd right. like to take away any of those those stressful situations. Is that something that you talk to your clients about to, to make sure they've thought that all the way through? 
Absolutely. You know, like I said, I always bring up that provision to make sure that is something the client would want in place. And I have had people, you know, decide both ways on that issue. Um, so it really, really depends on you. depends on your family dynamics. Like mm-hmm. you said, if you have children who you think wouldn't be able to handle um, making that sort of decision, then taking that provision out takes that decision-making off of them. So. And I, I would guess that, that you, you might put together a document for somebody this year, and then next year they may go through a major life change. Exactly. Or maybe there's a, a spiritual change in their world, and they decide to take a different direction. Have you mm-hmm. seen that happen? I have, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, even just within family, dynamics change. And and it's the sort of thing where somebody who was a good decision maker last year may not be the best person to be in that position this year. That's a very good point. So maybe the daughter who's the agent all of a sudden is... uh has a propensity for oxycodone, and I'm sure that that, that happens. That on sort a of thing happens, basis. so yeah. Unfortunately, um, a break and back, and we're going to dig into some more things that you need to think about and consider as we face 2016. This is Asset Protection Today, and this is News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. Hi there, my name is Scott Fitzgerald, and this is Asset Protection Today. Uh, W.G. Alexander and Associates brings you this program. Bill Alexander normally with us, but uh, today Catherine Bowman's sitting in. And Catherine, we've been talking about documents that people need. Um, one thing that I know comes up in, in my world on a regular basis, because I do a program early on Saturday mornings that deals with caregiving and, and senior and elder elder issues, elder care issues in particular, whether it's you know assisted living or long-term care facilities. Um, and I get asked questions all the time about long-term care insurance, whether or not it's a good deal, whether it's a smart thing to, uh, you know, to go ahead and put in place. I know that it's part of, it comes up on your radar on a regular basis. Absolutely. So, so what is it, first of all? Is it a good idea? Is it only a good idea for certain people? Let's dig into this a little bit. So the thing about long-term care insurance is that it varies so much even within itself, meaning there are so many different policies, so many different definitions within the policies that I think it's hard to give a general definition. But basically, it's insurance that can help with long-term care costs. It's pretty self-explanatory. The really great thing about long-term care insurance that I think people should be aware of is that when you get to the point of needing either at-home care, assisted living, nursing care, the financial assistance that's available through the government is very limited, meaning usually you have to be in a facility to even be eligible for these programs. And most people want to stay at home for as long as they can if they get to the point where they need help, assistance, that sort of thing. And long-term care insurance, as long as you have the right policy, can actually be the vehicle and the money that will allow you to stay at home and have the necessary caregivers come into the house and help you with, with your medical needs. Now, medical needs is a different different world than activities of daily living. That's correct. Does uh, does long-term care insurance cover that? Again, depends on the policy. A lot of them do cover activities of daily living, which could be provided at an assisted living facility or at home if you're able to have at-home care come in. Uh, so again, really depends on the type of policy you've set up for yourself. But I do know a lot of times they do cover assisted living. Um, but Really, I think what people should be trying to find is policies that allow them to stay at home. Okay. Um, back when long-term care insurance was created, we were only supposed to live to 72, That's 75. Right. Um, that world has changed drastically. So how do you sit down with a client and say, 
we don't know how long you're going to live. So the if-then scenarios come up. How do you determine whether or not it's a good investment you know, based upon the individual? Right. And I do want to preface by saying I'm not a licensed insurance agent, so mm-hmm. I only talk about these things very generally. Right, but, from a theory standpoint, right, essentially. Yeah. Right, And But I will say that Bill Alexander is licensed, so it's the sort of thing where if you want to come in and actually look at different long-term care insurance policies that could be available to you, Bill can actually sit down with you and discuss those things. But back to what we were talking about, long-term care insurance, when they first started these policies, the actuaries messed up is basically what we'll say, where um, the insurance companies ended up paying out way more than they had ever expected to because people were living longer and care costs are, I think, a lot higher than they sure. were. When John Hancock was enacted. the biggest provider and they said, nah, bah, bah, nah, we ain't going to do this anymore. Right. So the effect of that is premiums on these traditional long-term care insurance policies are very high. And if somebody can't afford to pay out that money, which can be thousands of dollars a year, then I say, okay, you know, maybe traditional long-term care insurance isn't what you should be looking at. There are actually these hybrid products out there now. I refer to them as long-term care insurance annuities. And these are really, really fantastic vehicles, not only for people who can't afford to pay thousands of dollars a year in premiums, um, but also for the situation of if you don't end up needing long-term care insurance, that money will pay out to your beneficiaries like a life insurance policy would. Oh, so it's a cash buildup then? Exactly. Okay. Um, is there any scenario that you know off the top of your head where you would say to somebody, <clears throat> no, long-term care insurance is just – it wouldn't work in your world? I think I would only say that to people who have extreme wealth. Okay. It's the sort of thing where you know, if I, a long-term care – crisis would not actually pose a financial crisis for them based on their estate. But even in those situations, if you have enough money to invest in maybe this long-term care insurance annuity, it's just a way to maintain your nest egg you know, without dipping into it too deeply. So honestly, I really think it's something that everyone should at least consider. Is it sometimes a situation where it might make sense for, if there's a couple, where Provided for one spouse, but not the other spouse? Both spouses in an ideal world should look into having it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I've heard Bill mention that if we are just talking about a couple and you are you can only afford for one person to have it, it's actually the wife who should be the one to have it uh, because the, the wife is honestly usually the one who lives longer and ends up taking care of their husband. But again, it really depends on personal uh, dynamics. Sure. You know, if, if somebody has a really terrible heart disease or something of that nature, um, they're probably not going to be the ones being the caregiver. So again, if we're looking at one versus the other, uh, it's probably the person who themselves is going to end up being a caregiver if that's going to be the situation. Should be the one to get long-term care insurance for themselves. Okay. Um, with changes in science, 20 years ago, nobody could look inside your body and say, you know what, you've got a propensity for Alzheimer's or you have a propensity for some disease that might you know, not necessarily kill you, but you be alive and suffer for it for the next 15, 20 years. They can do that now with genetic markers right. and they can look into your body. Um, what is your experience and, and what is your line of thinking when it comes to folks who may or may want to get this test done? Could that possibly affect their ability to get long-term insurance or things of that nature? I honestly haven't thought about that. Um, again, it's the sort of thing where just because somebody has a propensity for dementia or not, that doesn't mean that they're not going to require some sort of long-term care that's not related to dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I just think it's something that everyone should at least look into because 
There are tests for things like dementia, but there are so many other issues that can arise when somebody gets older that having that insurance in place, especially these hybrid annuities where if you end up not needing the insurance, uh, it'll pay out to beneficiaries. You're not really losing that money. Mm-hmm. Is really, really in your best interest. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you've got questions about that, you know a great place to go? WGA Law. Dot com. I know that Bill and Catherine, they field questions on a regular basis where people like you go to the website, post the question, uh, and you can either get an answer through you know online or you can get it on this radio program or when you set up an appointment in person or maybe even go to one of the seminars. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you more about an upcoming seminar, what you can expect, when you need to put it down on your calendar and that sort of thing. This is Asset Protection Today, and this is News Radio 680 WPTF. Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF. And uh, it's a proud presentation of our radio station and Bill Alexander's law firm, which is W.G. Alexander and Associates. Bill will be back next week. Catherine Bowman is uh, with us here in the studio today and uh, an able replacement for sure. I always enjoy having you here uh, on the program. And you're one of well, you're one of the two people that that participates and leads the uh, the seminars that happen on a regular basis, right? Yeah, that's correct. So the next one, I know we're a couple of weeks away. What's the next the date for the next one? It's February 10th, so that's going to be a Wednesday. Okay. And Independence Village, and I know that's up in the the Lake Boone Trail, Blue Ridge, Durley area, right? right. Up in that that's neck correct. of the woods. And uh, so there's two seminars um, each of those days. Which one do you do, the first one or the second one? I do the second one, which is at 6.30. Okay. Tell me, how do you prepare for something like that? Is this uh, is this something that you need to add new things all the time because the laws are changing or there's situations that are changing on a regular basis? I wouldn't say all the time, but absolutely. If there is a change in the law, then we need to revamp the seminar. Uh, there hasn't been a big change in the Medicaid rules since 2007, so we haven't really had to revamp that part. Uh, however, the we talk about a VA pension. I'll talk about this in a little bit more detail later. But that is actually right at the point of having a big overhaul in terms of the eligibility rules and criteria. So once that actually goes into effect, that will require a big change, I think, in, in the way we present the seminar. Okay. Now, the topics in the bill portion and the topics in your portion, are they are they similar? I mean, if somebody is trying to decide between the 2 o'clock or the 6.30, is there a real big difference? There isn't a huge difference. We definitely cover the same general topics throughout. Like I said, Bill, I think, goes into a little bit more detail probably than I do. Um, just because he's he can't help it he can't can't help it it. Uh, but no basically the the meat of the presentation is the same okay now you mentioned a couple of things that we really haven't touched upon but I know you you just said you're going to talk talk about them in the seminars and and that's Medicaid and Medicare Uh, those are two very different worlds for people when it comes to protecting themselves and their assets absolutely and just in terms of the words, it's so easy to get them mixed up, but they are People two use com- them kind of interchangeably. interchangeably yeah. yeah. And, but unfortunately, they are two very different programs. You know, Medicare is health insurance. That's something you become entitled to when you're 65 or you're blind or disabled. Uh, Medicaid, you have to be eligible in order to receive those benefits. And the benefits that they assist with are completely different than what Medicare does. Okay. If you could sum up to somebody and they said, well, gee, I, I don't know which one to use. I don't know. How do you sum up and say, hey, here's how we determine where you are on this spectrum and and what you actually are, are, are using or have access to? 
Right. So I, I will say Medicaid is an, an umbrella of programs. That's usually the way I refer to it as. And when we're doing the seminar, we focus on one very specific Medicaid program, and that's Medicaid for nursing care. Okay. So yeah. if we're talking about, you know, when's a good time to look into that program, obviously it's when somebody's at the point of, of requiring nursing care from a medical standpoint. And that's a situation where the assets they have, where they are and how they have access to them, makes a, a big world of difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. And the reason this program is so important is because it covers such an expensive level of care. Nursing care in North Carolina is anywhere from five to $8,000 a month on average. And that's for one person, you know, to be in a nursing home. And that monthly cost, if you look at it over a year, is huge. And it can really deteriorate someone's nest egg very quickly. Oh, yeah. Take a total chunk out of it. And and the end-of-life care is most likely more – that last year, two years of your life is going to be more expensive than the rest of your life combined. Exactly. So exactly. no matter how well you plan, chances are you're probably not going to be prepared for that. So you help folks uh, – you know, wind their way through the maze that is Medicare and Medicaid. How about VA benefits? Because if, if somebody isn't, a, if, you know, if they were in the military or married to somebody in the military and they're not aware of what's there, they're missing out on a potential gold mine. Exactly. And again, there are so many veterans benefits that are out there. What we really focus on at the seminar is a specific veterans benefit that's available to help with long-term care costs. It's called, we call it the the VA Improved Pension Program. Not we, that's what everybody calls it. (laughs) Um, And there are different levels of pension, basically. And aid and attendance is the highest level, meaning that will give you the maximum payout each month for either a vet or spouse of a vet or a surviving spouse who may be receiving assistance with long-term care. What, what does that mean? The, say that again, aid and... Uh... Aid and attendance. Yeah. I, I believe the reason it's called aid and attendance is because that is the pension that's available for people who are receiving assistance with activities of daily living. Okay. And I know there's a specific benefit... Sometimes it's an unknown benefit for folks who serve during wartime or during times of conflict exactly. that applies to them and their spouse. Right, and so that's it. the Improved Pension Program. Okay. And in terms of generally who's eligible for this, uh, the veteran had to serve anywhere from 90 days to two years of active duty, but only one of those days has to fall within what the VA defines as a war period. And you can go on the VA's website, look up you know, what they determine time periods. uh, And they usually are pretty liberal. So people most of the time do fall into that war period. And as long as one of their days of active duty are within that date range, then service-wise, they're eligible for this pension. But there's a lot of paperwork that goes hand in hand with that, right? There is quite a bit. And if you mess up the paperwork the first time around, it can certainly delay when you might be able to get your benefits. Absolutely. And I do just want to let everyone know that it is against federal law for anyone to charge to complete an application for this pension program. On occasion, we've heard of clients coming in and saying, you know, well, this entity said that they'd assist us with the application, but it would cost X amount of dollars. So I just wanted to let everyone know that, you know, no one is allowed because it's against the law to Mm -hmm. charge to help with these applications. But there is a lot of paperwork that's involved. Uh, So a lot of times, you know, if we get involved with the the pension program, um, there is some estate planning maybe on 
that we can assist you with. And then if you are eligible for this pension, we would help you with the, the application complimentary. Good enough. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to dig in a little bit more into what you can expect at the seminars and wrap things up for yet another edition of Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF and Asset Protection today uh, with the attorneys from WG Alexander and Associates. You want to find them online? It's easy to do. Write this down, WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. And you can also send emails any time of the day because who knows when a question is going to pop into your mind and, and you're thinking, I need Bill or I need Catherine to know that I got this question. You can send an email to WGA at WGALaw.com. Com. Bill's not here, but Catherine Bowman is. And uh, Catherine, the uh, the seminar that's coming up, Independence Village, Wednesday, February 10th, two of them, 2 and 6.30. Uh, again, you're going to be handling the second one, the 6.30. Um, do you co- we, we talked about documents earlier uh, in the program here today, the different documents that people need to have. Do you cover those in, in the seminar? Very briefly, and basically, again, I just kind of reiterate what I said this morning, which is everybody should have them, and I give a brief overview of what each one is, uh, but we don't go into a whole lot of detail other than please get your documents. Okay, and those would be durable power of attorney, health care power of attorney, last will and testament, your HIPAA release, and then your... DNR, your advanced directives. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I wrote one on each finger. Yeah. So <laughs> You passed. You passed my test. Now I need to know good. what to do on my right hand because my left hand is covered here. Um, since you don't mention those a whole bunch in your seminars, what's the main chunk? What's the meat of what somebody can expect when they show up? The main thing we focus on in the seminar is government benefits that are available to assist with long-term care costs. So we really try to hit on as many of those programs as we can. Some provide more benefits than others. You know, we discuss that as well. But really that's what it's about is trying to find financial assistance for long-term care, us educating you on what programs are actually out there. When the show is called Asset Protection, and that's Bill's big focus. So as far as the things that you need to protect against – and I'm no attorney. I have never even played one on the radio, but I'm going to guess it's tax and long-term care. Are those the two biggies that uh, take a chunk out of somebody's uh, you know, estate? Absolutely. And tax really isn't that much of an issue anymore because okay. they have raised the taxable estate from what used to be $1 million to now it's $5.43 million. It's not going to affect you, is it? It's no, not it's not going to affect me. me. No. No. So, so a lot of people aren't affected tax-wise anymore. You know, North Carolina, you don't have to worry about a state state tax. Uh, so really, at this point, it's, it's long-term care really is what's going to pose that financial crisis for you, if anything. And that has changed so much just because the cost of it has gone up so much. That's right. That's it's, right. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, I, you know, I talked to someone uh, at, a, I think it was an assisted living facility, but they basically said that it's industry standard to increase cost of care 5% every year. And so if cost of care is increasing 5% and, you know, Social Security is maybe going up a percent and a half. You're going backwards. This this gap is just increasing, unfortunately. So, yep, just getting more and more expensive every year. So if it goes up 5% per year, if it were 7%, then that would mean – what is it? when does something double? If you've got a dollar and it's at a certain interest rate, then it'll be $2. I think it's after seven years or so if it's roughly 10%. So that means about every 12 years or so the cost of long-term right. care per year is going, that's doubling. Absolutely. That's a, so that means a lot more planning. Exactly. <laughs> it really, exactly. really does. Uh, Catherine, I, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, when when Bill can't make it and you come in, I know I, 
I know you're excited about it and you get to prepare for it, and I'm always looking forward to it as well. Uh, if somebody would like to reach you specifically, what would what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, I would say just give our office a call, uh, and our lovely receptionist would be able to direct you to me. And our office number is 919-256-7000. And that's also if you want to sign up for our seminar, you can give us a call or email that account you had mentioned, wga at wgalaw.com. Okay. No, there's no food or anything involved, but right. there's a limited number of seats, which is why you like to pe- know how many people Absolutely. Are and it's free. You know, we're not charging you. We this never did mention that, did we? So, yep. So, no no charge to come to this. Um, we really just want to get good information out there. Right. So, please give us a call. Sign up if you think that's something that could help you out. If it's free, it's for me. I love it. <laughs> WG Alexander & Associates, each and every week at this time, brings you Asset Protection Today. Uh, our time is up. We'll do it again next Saturday morning, right here on News Radio 680 WPTF.